welcome to Over a Third. We're an Australian netball podcast and we're on the Edge of the Crowds network. I'm Sarah, your host, and today I'm joined by Dan. How are you, Dan? I'm not too bad, thanks, Sarah. You almost forgot your own name hosting there. I did almost forget my name. It's been a week, that's for sure. Um, I do have a bit of a croaky throat. But we'll get through this podcast and we'll chat about some netball stats. Um, it's going to be a really interesting episode to dive into. I'm really looking forward to it. So Ian Harkin from Netball Scoop has done a great job of collating a bunch of stats. Props to him because I don't think I have the patience for this, but uh, he's collated all the stats from the 2021 Super Netball season. So we thought we'd dive into that today, didn't we, Dan? We did. And before we dive into some of the team-specific stats, I thought the best one was that the FIFA involved with three of the highest scoring games, one with the Giants, and then two with the Firebirds where the scoreline was exactly the same. And that is a, a great statistical quirk from last season, I think. Absolutely. So there's certainly some random stats in this entire uh, article on Netball Scope. There is some really interesting ones like held ball calls and all those sorts of little things that you take note of when you're watching the game, but you don't really think about how they add up across the season. Um, and so we thought we'd dive in and have a look at some of the teams and some of their strengths this year from these stats. Obviously, stats never tell the full picture, but we'll let them tell the full picture today. Um, so we'll try to the feed, we'll, <laughs> that's true. So let's start off with the fever. Um, and they had a really high percentage of feeds with an attempt. So that was more than 5% higher than any other team in the competition. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I mean, if we look, we take out the bottom two outliers being the Vixens and T-Birds, we know had offensive struggles. The Fever were so far ahead of the other five teams that were kind of in contention for the playoffs. It really struck me that something we often talk about, the fact that, you know, that Charles to Fowler connection where, we see the long high feed in right under the post to the holding fowler is just, it's so effective. And that really is the statistic that tells us that it's true. You know, what we're seeing isn't lying to us. That's absolutely the case that that is a, a really strong connection for the fever. It is. And I mean, we often talk about their reliance on it, but if it works, just keep doing it. Um, and they've obviously got it to a point now. They've they've all been together um, for a while. And Fowler's been the uh, player of the league for a few seasons running. She's obviously an incredible shooter. She's incredibly accurate. Why not just go to her under the post? And we saw in the final series when she tried to come out of the circle, it really didn't work for the fever. So I think that's just proof in the pudding. She should stay at home under the post. Well, she should stay at home and Charles should be the one feeding her because Charles had the most goal assists by away to Maddie Hay and she was in mm -hmm. turn a long way ahead of everyone else so those two were kind of streets ahead and and Charles right at the top um, and Charles also was close um, to Hay with feeds within attempt so it does tell us that it's working effectively but also in high volume so it's definitely something I'd be looking at and if I was playing the fever that'd be kind of one of the first things I'd look to try and stop. Definitely uh, another area of strength this time for the Firebirds, is also down the attack end. And that's the Kim Revalian and Gretel Buetta formula. So their center pass receive, feeding into the circle, their assists, all of it is just working so nicely for um, Rav and Buetta. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the mums back together for the first time after exactly. having their baby seemed to really be on the same page. And Buetta was fourth in the comp for center pass receives. 
and Rav was fourth for feeds with an attempt and goal assists. And it seems almost like that was the formula for them. Yeah. Boeta gets the center pass back to Rav, Rav to Aiken or Boeta in the circle and goal. And that's kind of, goal. it's a simple, straightforward formula. Um, it probably belies some of the complexities of how they use the rest of their team, particularly that wing attack spot. Um, and, you know, we know that that's a spot that had a bit of movement throughout the year, but that formula of Boeta to Rav to whoever's at goal um, really seems to be working and was a pretty straightforward path to goal. Yeah, definitely. And that straight line into goals can be so effective. It does, it gives little uh, opportunity for other teams to start that interception. I mean, if it becomes too clear that you're, that's the path you're taking into goals, obviously teams are going to pick up on it, but it's shown that, you know, whether they're going Rav, Buetta, back to Rav and then in, or um, coming back out to Buetta again, and then back into uh Aiken at goal. It's definitely a combination that's working for the Firebirds um, and it worked last season even with Buetta not at her best and I think we've seen this quad series that she's now returning fully to her best um, athletically and I think that that'll, that'll only improve the Firebirds front end this season. Yeah it's interesting I mean they were in the kind of upper half of the league for general play turnovers and Buetta was kind of the main offender with that which does tell me that um you know that straightforward might be a little bit too straightforward at times um but it's still interesting to to see that definitely and over in the giants we've also got a bit of a connection between two players and that's hay and price i mean they're just yeah. a match last year i think for a lot of people was maddie hayes coming out party um it was kind of a show of just how good she has become in that wing attack spot. You know, she's really made her own and brought her own flavor to it. And she's filling the steps of Kimmy G admirably. Yeah. Um, with a, a kind of quite a different style of play as well. So she's not really trying to replicate, but it was incredibly effective. She led the league with sort of pass receives, feeds with an attempt. She was second for goal assists. Um, and Jamie Lee Price was second or well, third for both feeds with an attempt. And goalless, so right there with Charles and Hay. And that says to me that that duo was really important for the Giants last year, particularly mm -hmm. also in the absence of Sophie Dwyer wasn't much of a playmaker, really. Um, you know, mm -hmm. Coming in as a young goal attack, thrust in, obviously, in the season, not even like late in preseason. Um, so I don't think her playmaking was really quite up there, but Price and Hay really stepped up to, to do that instead. I think we, we spoke about it before about how they lose Austin, obviously, in round one. Dwyer fills that position, but she's really just filling that goal attack, goal shooter um, in the circle position, really. And um, that movement, that transition, it all has to come from the other players because she's not as familiar with the players on court. She's not as familiar, especially early on. Um, they're relying on their more established players in the midcourt um, to take that ball into the circle and I, I think that it's probably early on in the season in particular where Hay and Jamie Lee are picking up these stats because they are providing so much ball into the Harton and Dwyer combo. I also I partly wonder whether we would have seen Hart, we should have seen Harton play goal attack early on in the season and play Dwyer at goal shooter because she still has that chemistry and that ability to get around and obviously she didn't 
do it much while Kira Austin was playing goal attack. Um, mm. and, you know, Dwyer will be the full-time unquestioned goal attack this season. Um, but I think it would have been really interesting to see that. But um, those two certainly played a huge amount um, and they played it well. And we'll talk about that a little bit later again because it's a bit of a two-sided coin for them. But uh, when we definitely. talk about goal attacks, playmaking, the lightning strength <laughs> was definitely there as well. Steph Wood, she is the playmaker in the front end for the Lightning, that's for sure. She, the way she reads the court is just so incredible to watch. It, whether she's in the Lightning colours or most recently in the Australian Diamonds colours as well, she just has an awareness of the court. She has an awareness of where the other players are, where her opposition is. She just seems to know where to go herself and where to send the ball. Um, and that playmaking was huge for the Lightning. Yeah, I mean, in terms of playmaking, Laura Sherian was the wing attacker and she kind of led the stats, but Steffwood was not far behind, almost like a second wing attack. And I think that, mm. that was really telling often in the way that they broke down teams, that they had all these playmaking options and, you know, you could try and cut down Shares and slow her down, um, but then Steffwood would get you. And if you focus too much on Wood, Shares would get you. And so that really kind of two-prong, almost like, doubling up at the wing attack spot with a bit of obviously the range into the goal circle just makes them so hard to stop. Yeah. And I mean, Steph was also in the top 10 for super shots. Um, as we've come to know, uh, she's quite good from the long range. Um, but Conan was in the top 10 for most goals. Um, so that, that was good to see that they have uh, strengths in both areas, good under post. And also you've got Wood who, Playmakes and then also drops a long bomb every now and then too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if we talk about the Magpies, obviously the big talking point for them and their big strength last year was right at the other end of the court, wasn't it? It was right at the other end of the court. And that's in Jody M. Moore and Jeeva Mentor, obviously stellar defenders. Um, and they were both in the top 10 for deflections. No real surprise, let's be honest. If you watched any Magpies games last season, they were pretty impressive, I mean, but the they only, also were bottom four. The only reason I'm a little bit surprised is that I didn't think that they really, particularly mental, racked up enough court time to be that high in the stats. I mean, true. that's kind of what surprised me. We know how good Jiva is. And, you know, there's 150-something Rosie's caps, and there's you know a long history in Super Netball of telling us just how good she is. So I guess kind of seeing the two of them in the top 10 we know that Jodie Ann Ward's really becoming a ball hawk she reads the play really well she gets to the right spots and yeah there's a, a lot of contact penalties involved in that at times she did leave the league in that last year but if you're picking up that many deflections um, it's not not working no and you're definitely troubling the your opposition's uh, attacking play and their passages in and their um, rehearsed set plays if you're picking up the deflections because then they're second guessing and then they're only going to make further mistakes so um, it was really good to see from the Magpies even though they obviously didn't make finals even though um, it wasn't their season to see defensively how strong they were um, yeah an imp impressive area of uh, strength for them the Swifts though we go back to the other end of the court for them and we've got the accuracy yeah I mean Bryony Akel has talked a number of times about how she thinks that Sam Wallace is the best goal shooter in the world. Um, and it's hard to argue with her on this. I mean, I know Janiel Fowler is dominant, but the Swiss led the competition in regular goal accuracy, 
in super shot accuracy and in overall accuracy. I mean, they were just so much, they were, they were better than everyone else at taking the ball that they had and putting it in the goal. And it shouldn't really surprise us because that's a pretty strong formula to win most sports is outscore your opponent more efficiently. Um, doing that does tend to win games and the Swiss, you know, won the championship because they were good at that. Yeah, I mean, they didn't obviously put up the most shots. That was the fever. But when they did take their shots, they were the most accurate team for the 2021 season. And, I mean, fever were right behind them. Like, there's not a lot to split the two teams. But I thought it was really interesting because we look at the top 10 shooters by individual accuracy and the Swiss had three in there. Um, The only other side Mm -hmm. with more than one is the Lightning, and that's because Proskovia actually led them in accuracy. But obviously she didn't have really much volume, so that's almost not there. And I know that Garvin obviously also didn't have huge volume, but to have three in the top ten, you know, your two starters and your go-to third option um, ahead of everyone else's second choice, really, is, is the way to go to win netball games, really. It's a, a pretty simple formula. It makes it look far more simple than it is, but put the ball in the ring and you're going you're gonna to win. That's exactly it. Um, it is not as simple as we're making it out to be. <laughs> but at the same time, um, Garvin does now cross over to the Magpies and Nelson was also in the top five for most accurate yeah. super I mean, shot and regular shots. So does she court time we'll have to it'll depend on how much court time she gets and we've talked Mm. previously about the fact that you know off air we've spoken about the fact we're not sure how the garvin nelson sinclair circle fits together in terms of playing time and how they're going to manage that but they're going to have to find a way because garvin and nelson are both very accurate and right up there and we saw garvin isn't phased by the big stage in the diamonds either so It'll be yep. a tough one for Nicole Richardson to work out. And I'm kind of glad that's not my problem, to be honest. <laughs> Definitely. Um, let's jump back to the other end of the court. We've just zigzagged across the court at this point. Um, Thunderbirds, not a lot I mean, to speak glowingly about for my Thunderbirds last season. But um, Shamira instead, Sterling. Shamira Sterling, that is... <laughs> Shamira Sterling, two words, that's all we need to say and move yeah. on. No, let's talk about it a little bit. I mean, she was right up there with Courtney Bruce as a, a leader for deflections, for intercepts, for gains. Um, you know, she really managed to make a, a pest of herself for attackings. And partly I think she gets a lot of that attention because she does it quite differently to Courtney Bruce. I mean, she just plays in front and says, right, you can try and throw over me, but I'm, my arms are going to get there before your shooters do. Bruce, we see often does a lot of that intercepting work coming off the body and kind of jumping passes more so than actually just taking things that are meant for the player she's on. She's often getting there and playing one phase ahead. So kind of the pass before, but see Sterling just pick off passes that are meant to go right over her head is quite something. And I mean, we love seeing it. It's so spectacular to watch her in full flight. It is. And like we picked up on the fact that she was... 10th in the league for most contact penalties and she's got players like Bruce Ward um Moeni Jenna ahead of her Clow even ahead of her Turner as well so she's not racking up the penalties quite as much as some of the other goalkeepers in the league which is 
why what makes her intercepts even more effective as well is because when she then is getting a turnover it's a clean turnover there's there's no if buts maybes about it she is clean with the ball unfortunately the Thunderbirds are not converting on it <laughs> I was going to say the, the other problem they've got is that Garrett is third in the league for contact penalties yeah, I mean, defensive and with just... her so it's it seems to be that if you're playing the Thunderbirds I'd be going at Garrett not at Sterling yeah that seems to work a lot better but um, obviously that's not always possible with Shamira you can't really just get around her um and no we'll talk also about the the Vixens um they obviously yep. had a, a down season um, and we know that they know that because there was pretty high turnover in terms of the squad. Um, Simone McKinn has talked about it. And of course, I think it's fair to say that the strength that the Vixens have is being able to close the book. I mean, last season, they didn't really have any strengths out on court. Mike and Wendell was good. The defensive end was good at times, but their big strength was knowing that they had Lizzie Watson to come back, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. The when we're looking at these stats from the last season, there's not much that they stand out as a big strength on. Um, yeah, well, there's they're sitting out, middle but... of the road. They are in the other <laughs> other end of the scope weaknesses, um, but they're, they're sort of like middle of the road to the lower end of the scale for most of the ones that you would prefer to be up the higher end of. Um, but yeah, definitely the fact that they've got Lizzie coming back this season um, and she looked really strong out on court. She looked like she'd really overcome that injury um, for the Diamonds. So I think they'll just be looking forward to the fact that round one is a new season. It's a new chance to um, go for that premiership again because yeah, let's just close the book on last year. Yeah, I mean, we're also going to talk about what the stats tell us about the weaknesses of teams. And it seems like we should start with the Vixens because their big weakness was kind of their mid-court possession. You're moving the ball. Maloney led the league with nine held balls, which doesn't seem like a lot. But when you're leading the league and when Kalia Stanton is third in the league with eight um, or equal second. What a turnover. Um, it's a lot of turnover on things that really you shouldn't be doing. It's not like it's bad hands or it's interceptions. It's just you couldn't get a pass off. And so we're going to talk also about for each of these teams what they're going to do or what we think they might do to change these. And it's pretty obvious that what they're going to try, the Vixens are going to try to do to solve this is you know, put Lizzie Watson and Kira Austin on court. Yes, and that is going to make the world of difference because uh, just having two stars like them on court, uh, it, it's when there's a held ball, it's there's no movement. There's not enough movement. Um, they're not finding distance on their defenders um, to be able to transition the ball. Watson and Austin are always doing that. Like even if they've just thrown the ball to the person, to Kate Maloney, who's got the ball, they're then moving and making sure that there is a option. Even if it's thrown at 2.5 seconds, there is an option to, um, you know, make sure that that simple call isn't made against you because it is such a simple turnover. It's a coach killer. It's, you, it just shouldn't be happening really. I mean, credit to the defenders because obviously there was some strong defense on the Vixens, but at the same time, it shouldn't be happening. There should be an easy option out, even if yeah. it's backwards. And also knowing that you've got players of Lizzie Watson and Kira Austin's caliber, you can almost pass to the space that they're going to fill. Exactly. Um, and that chemistry, particularly the Maloney-Watson chemistry, we know how good it is. We know that they can almost pass the ball to where the other's going to be. Um, and I think that chemistry won't be there with Austin straight away. So we might see a few turnovers there early, but in the long run, 
I think that's going to prove to be a very effective combination. I have to agree. I do think Austin is going to be a really great addition to their uh, goal attack and work really well with Mike and Wenda. I'm really excited to see that combination, just see how they how they sort of connect early on. Because as you said, there could be some teething problems early, but it should it should be a really good one to watch. I don't think we're going to see it really hit full flight till at the earliest mid-season. Because, I mean, we know Samerson's coming in, Barkmeyer is going to be a training partner, and then I assume a replacement player for the first month or two until Austin is fit to play. So even then, she's going to have to build in the chemistry. So I think it could be, I mean, it's a scary prospect to think that if the Vixens get to the finals, it may be that that's where they really hit a straps and no one ever wants to be facing up a team that is getting better as you get to finals. No, and that's where winning early on in the season without Austin is going to be so important um, because you've got to get to that top four to be able to play that combo at, at its full strength um, in the finals. And so I think Samerson's going to have a really big role to play with Kumwenda early on in establishing some early wins. And I can't quite remember what their draw looks like. It'd be nice if it started a little bit cruisier, but yeah, we'll have to have to dissect that in the coming weeks as we get closer to the season. We've talked about how good these teams are. I mean, they're realistically... I, mean, I think everyone would be quite comfortable with saying there are six or seven teams that think they're going to be competing for a premiership next year. Oh, which is the one you're leaving out, Dan? I think, I think the Thunderbirds are building and that's part of the plan. You know, yeah. they've talked about the fact that this is a group that they're intent on keeping. They're, you know, local players, they're yeah. growing, but I don't think next year is their year. And I think the Thunderbirds <laughs> are, are prepared to go better and I think they'd like to make finals, but I think... There's not one eye on a premiership, but I think every other team probably has ambitions that they are going to be making yep. finals and playing for a premiership, and that means there aren't any cakewalk games. No, <laughs> except for against the Thunderbirds. No, um, and even name? then, like we saw, we saw Lightning drop a game to the Thunderbirds last and, year by a goal. Like, and, and you don't want to be losing those. The Swiss got blown out by the Thunderbirds in round. True. Who knows whether there's no easy games in Super Netball. So no. um, the Vixens are going to have to That's start true. hard against pretty high quality mm. position. Who do you want to talk about next? Look, let's let's go up. So let's start with, let's go <laughs> to uh, Thunderbirds next. <laughs> Just, no, it's all right. We've got some positives to take out of this. There's some things that the Thunderbirds can uh, sort of look at in the off season. And some things that I've already spoken to um, one of the training partners about and I think there's going to be some improvements. I hope there's going to be some improvements, but that possession gain to goal conversion. So when they get that turnover down the defensive end in the midcourt, they're not converting it. They're worst yeah, I mean, in the league at converting it. They were the worst in the league at converting turnovers into goals and by a way as well. I mean, the FIFA were the best at 70% and then um, Lightning, Swifts and Firebirds were all around 65 the Giants, Magpies, and Vixens were close to 60. The Vixens a bit below. The T-Birds were under 50%. I mean, that is a catastrophic drop-off. That is miles off what they need to be. And, and Tanya Obst knew it during the season. I mean, we spoke to her at press conferences throughout the year, and she was saying, you know, we have to not give away the ball. We have to take those opportunities that we're getting, particularly from Sterling, and turn them into goals. And they just didn't do it last year. They, they obviously led the league for general play turnovers as well. So it's just, it, it's hard to watch as well because you watch Sterling get 
an intercept like she does and then you're like oh yes all the way down to the other end and then suddenly in the midcourt it just goes or someone throws a loose pass it's I think I recall a particular passage of play against I think it was the Giants that I was watching KRA where Sterling had two intercepts before the opposition team scored a goal and yet it was still a goal to the Giants before like she she had two turnovers that ended up not being converted and the Giants scored yeah. at the end of that and that's just wasting wasting that totally and another I, thing that we should where... probably also talk about for the T-Burns is uh they're, they're quite heavily penalized and it's not for the it's for the simple stuff as well isn't it Sarah look it is it's the offside calls it's the very simple offside um 56 times they were called for it in the season now some of those are at the defensive end when Maisie or someone's on the circle, Hannah Petty on Hannah the circle, Petty. and they're Hannah jumping Petty. across. Okay, Hannah, Hannah Petty. Petty because okay. the next most in the Super Netball was 28, and Hannah Petty had 25 on her own. Okay. So, yes, it was Hannah Petty. Okay. So whether she's jumping, some of those will be, you know, she's trying to get an intercept in the defensive end, which is absolutely fine. You step in the circle, that's fine. Yeah. I'm not worried about those. It's when you are breaking at the centre pass. It's when you are um, going offside to just for no real reason other than you're sprinting a little bit too hard. Um, like just that core awareness is just not there. And simple things like that are just so frustrating yeah, to watch. I mean, it's I mean, Most teams were averaging two or less a game. Hannah Petty was averaging yep. almost two a game. And the T-Birds were averaging two a game as a team as well. So that would have put them at the high end as a team anyway. But yeah. that level is just, I mean, it's too many opportunities for your opposition. And especially if you're con- like giving all those second chances or turnovers to your opposition and you're not taking your own chances, it's a recipe for trouble. It, exactly. Um, it's not great. But how are they going to fix it? Let's look at the positives here. I, I think for them, it's that continuity. They've got all these players who are coming back, particularly through the midcourt and the attacking end. It's a, a really similar-looking lineup. Um, all the main players, except for Shady and Vandermeer, are going to be back. And I think that will help them because they're more familiar with one another. I don't think it helps the offsides. I think the offsides has to be you know, yelling yeah, in suicides when you do it. But you know, get them doing That's just a... Yeah, that's just the coach having to be like, no, not again. Um, but in terms of that continuity you were speaking about, I spoke to Lucy Austin just before Christmas about coming back as a training partner and how, what it was like coming back with um, pretty much the same group of girls because even the training partners are the same and one of the training partners has now been elevated into the squad. So having that continuity, she said, you just notice how much easier it is out on court to you know when where people are you know um who's calling like the the voices is something that takes a little while getting used to especially when there's quite a few voices happening out on court um and just that you can trust each other and also have those more honest conversations that like you weren't in the right spot there that was not what we want to do um you feel a bit safer having those conversations it sounded like so I think there's some improvements we made this year um but I definitely think they're on the right path and as you say it's not a finals goal this year you like we're being unrealistic um I think the T-Birds want some growth this year yes the big focus. I think that's the thing I think it's moving from having two three 
four wins this year to having closer to that halfway, like 50%, which is obviously going to see mean that like the higher teams are going to have to drop some games. Ideally, we don't see a team this year go through undefeated, um, which we didn't see last year. So it would be good to have that um, competitiveness between the teams. But yeah, there's there's some improvements to be made and definitely it's partly coaching and partly just having the same group will help because it's the first time in eight years that they've made this minimal number of changes to their team. So yeah, absolutely. I think it will help them and hopefully we see them up to. I'd love to see uh, a super noble table at the end of the season where we've got kind of a span of three wins between first and last. Like, you know, we've got 10 or 11 oh. wins down to to seven or eight and it means that you know coming into the last two weeks anyone's in contention anyone can ruin anyone else's season and you know all that excitement and, is just going to be on like I can't wait I hope that's what happens and that like they actually all those last few games mean something it's not just deciding who's one who's two three and four but deciding that whether number six can actually get into that top four um, and whether they could even get a second chance in finals like yeah. it would be really good to see it super duper close this season but i would love to see uh netball move to what the afl and the nfl have done which is that the last round is a floating fixture so you've got all the matchups but you don't know the timing so that they can make sure that the last game of the season is the one that decides who sneaks into eighth or fourth you know i'd love to see that excitement build yeah there's a there's a little tip for the netball australia when they're planning the super league the super netball next season is to uh floating fixture for the I mean, final they've round had, they've definitely had fixtures the last few years so true <laughs> Look, just, surely every fixture at this point is kind of floating in some respect because the changes that happen happen on the fly that's for sure um let's move on to another team we'll go to swifts next because their possession gains and pickups, they were at the lower end of the scale for that. Yeah, so they, they were last in the league with deflections with a gain for a game. They were last in pickups per game and they were right at the bottom end of the league for possession gains totally. Um, I don't know what you do about that. Um, it also surprised me a little bit. I, I would have thought looking at the stats that actually a lot of the time they were forcing this interception. We talk about Helen Housby's defensive presence up the court. We talk about Proud and Hadley. Um, obviously, that wing defence spot was a bit in flux last year. But at the same time, it's hard to say it's a real weakness when you've just won the championship and used all 10 players in the grand final. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're, we're literally had to scroll to find, like, we, we're trying to find something that we could say was something that they maybe should work on. But I'm, I mean, with the deflections, you can always work on having backup um, and having people in the right position, but sometimes it just doesn't work. I mean, I think the big challenge for the Swiss this season is how they deal with the loss of Garvin and Nat Metcalf and Lauren Moore and how they kind of replace those younger players. Mm-hmm. Bring, obviously, Ali Smith's in there and then we've got Singleton and O'Shaughnessy, the young players. So that'll be the challenge, I think, for me to see is how they handle that move from experienced heads to to younger heads yeah and how they how they use their full because they all the old year last year they used their full bench very often um they did we did see high rotation through the surf's bench but this year will we see the same given they are a younger group i mean if i had to tip, if i had to tip i'd say that we'll see a lot early on in the season 
I think Brian okay. will throw those players into the deep end and test them and give them the practice. When the pressures, yeah. are, I mean, realistically, I know we, we talk about the importance of early season wins, but the early season has a bit of a less pressure feel because it doesn't feel like, you know, we need this game to stay in touch. We need this game to win the top four. Whereas you get to mm. around 11 and 12 and yeah, those games feel like that. So I think we'll see her test it out early and work out who she can go to when and how they handle it. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's a pretty experienced coach. She's, she knows what she's doing. She's won two premierships now. She's, yeah, and it's a different year for her. She's got a different score to work with, but she wouldn't have elevated these girls if she wasn't confident that they could um, thrive in the Super Netball. And it's really good to see some local talent getting a go. And who knows, maybe maybe we'll see them get more court time than others that we expect to receive court time. Premiership repeat. <laughs> Yeah, we know you want two in a row. <laughs> We're going to talk about our super netball tips later in the, the off-season, I think, closer to the time. But that's something that, you know, will be interesting. But the Magpies, we talked about, um, you know, the strength of their defensive end. Um, but their attacking end was a bit less effective, wasn't it, Sarah? It was. They were second in the, in the league for turnovers. So that is not a stat you want to be second in the league for. Um shocked you don't want to be turnovers. <laughs> no funnily enough um you really don't uh so they had 25 average 25.4 general play turnovers per game now that's not great uh and it was often on transition it was often moving into their front end it was a front end that struggled through the year. Like, as we said earlier, their defensive end was so strong. They had a lot of deflections um, and you've got two international players down in your defensive end and then Braz. So, like, obviously an incredibly strong defensive end. Up the front end, the combination with Nelson just, yeah, it was a little bit touch and go for a lot of the year. It it looked like it was hitting its straps late in the season. Mm. Um, But I do wonder how things will change with Sophie Garvin and what that means. Because I think that maybe that what we've talked about, you know, we're not sure how they're going to fit it in the shooting end, but it's much more important for the turnovers because Garvin's a holding target. She's a huge catch radius. Um, you mm. know, she makes it easy for defenders to feed her because she gives them so much space to do it. And I think that's going to be really important for the Magpies and that could really help them. Uh, yeah, I, I think the addition of um, Sophie will be a really interesting one that we have to wait and see in the first couple of weeks how she's used um, down at Collingwood because, yeah, I, I think it will be slightly different to her time at the Swifts. I think she's hoping it will be as well, um, that she might see a little bit more court time. But she's a player that you can go to in the third quarter when things have taken a turn after the halfway point and she will just take it and run and she will make the most of her time out on court, even if it is a quarter and a half or whatever. Yeah, and it's interesting also that she's kind of made so much of a, her career so far about being an impact player, not needing mm. time to acclimatise to the pace of the game. She can jump on and hit the ground running and make an impact from the first 30 seconds she's on the court. She doesn't need sort of two or three shots to, to feel good. So I think that it'll be really interesting to see how they handle the game time for each of those players and, and going forward, hopefully that will help them kind of keep those turnovers down and push them a bit further up the ladder. It's a real skill that she has coming on to impact the game straight away. Like you, 
they can bomb it straight into her and you know that she's going to pick that ball off and she's going to shoot it up and it will go in like that confidence um to do that from the word go is very skillful um let's move on to the lightning super shot accuracy and attempts is what we've got as their weakness look they were lower in the standings for both of those things um last okay they're just not making the most of it they're just not making the most of it it's a rule whether you believe it should be there or not is you know not the debate we're having here it's that it's there so use it you've got one of the best long-range shooters in the world in Steph Wood um sure accuracy has been a problem but I was gonna say it's it's you know we talk a lot about Steph Wood being this incredibly talented long bomb shooter and she is without a doubt I mean we saw it at the diamonds level but the fact is that the lightning were you know, only just at the cusp where the super shot was more effective than a normal shot. And for every other team except the Firebirds, it was a better choice when they made it. They took it, mm-hmm. um, they were making them at a better than 50% of their normal accuracy, which means that it's worth taking when it's there. The Lightning were right on the cusp and they were taking them so rarely that it, it almost seems like Steph would maybe, that is a bit of a reputation thing at this point. Um, she hasn't been making mm-hmm. them at the clip that everyone else has although i think it's probably also part of that when you know we know car is not a great range shooter she doesn't take many she doesn't make many um, and so i don't think that helps but it's interesting to see that they really are at the bottom end they're quite a fair way below average is just over 50 percent, and they're just under 46 percent. so they're a fair way below average on accuracy so it does make me think that you know it's not just relying on Steph Wood and her whipping it out it's actually not working when she does at the moment yeah and that's perhaps something that they need to look at in their tactics in their um game plan is how can they actually utilize like she she is a strong shooter from that range in every other competition that she would play in the quad series like we've seen it on the world stage so many times but at this point in the super netball we're two seasons in with it we're seeing the Giants go to it for the last five minutes and they are, they are going to it. Almost every shot that they take is starting to be outside in that longer range. So why aren't the Lightning adapting to the rules, using them to their advantage? Because when you lose games by one point, when you win games by one point, like there's a chance that you could stretch that margin a little bit more yeah. by scoring a couple of extra super shots. I mean, we did have a look last season when we talked about the Giants taking it it didn't actually make a huge difference to the Giants in the end. Like they would have won mm. every game that they won bar one, except if not the super shot, um, kind of the rate that they were making them, the rate they were taking them at. But the Lightning probably did cost themselves a couple of games last season because they either couldn't or wouldn't go to that option. Um, so I think they do really need to, especially given that we expect the top four to be even more competitive this season. Mm. with the Vixens and possibly the Mac Bison Firebirds pushing up into there as well. Yeah, you definitely don't want to be dropping those one-point games to the Thunderbirds like they did once last year. Uh, so let's move on to the Giants who were just speaking about them. But their their weakness is definitely not in the super, super shot. It's their lack of mid-court variety and yeah. the reliance on Price and Hay. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how good Price and Hay were at the top of the show, but... It's also a bit of a two-sided coin because that was all they had. I mean, in the midcourt, yeah. the top three minutes played last season were Joe Harton, then Maddie Hay, then Jamie Lee Price. 
you got three all from the same team and two of those in mid-court positions where doing an awful lot of work and there's no respite. And that was partly if you look at the bench last year for the Giants. I mean, they had Manua and then either McDonald or Pullman and Matisse Leatherbarrett. They didn't really have anyone who they can throw into the midcourt. They were almost forced to just go with those three. And it's a credit to them that they didn't get injured, but um, it's a pretty big gamble to rely solely on particularly Hay and Price and Palmy as well. Absolutely. And it's at times, uh, I think there was a game late in the season that I was at uh, John Kane for, and they were playing the Firebirds. And Price was frustrated. Nothing in the front end was working. And you just wanted them to be able to make some changes to their midcourt arrangement. And they just couldn't. All they could do was shuffle them, like put Price back into wing defense, bring her out to wing attack. Like that is the only option they really had because they didn't have anyone on the bench that they could necessarily pull in. And I do think that that's something that this year, hopefully there's a little bit more movement because they have some different bases in there, but it's going to be interesting. Um, I think also the top minutes there is influenced by the fact that they also played an extra game on quite a few teams or an extra two, three games on the Thunderbirds and the teams like that, where they played all three finals weekends. So there is that additional, you know, 60 minutes they could possibly play. But at the same time, they did play the most minutes um, and they were not rotated. Those three were, were pretty close to average at 60 minutes a game. Yep. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I can't think of a time that Hay or Price came off the court at all. They obviously had to because I remember Joe Hart coming off for a couple of minutes to get Matisse Leatherbarrow on twice at right at the end of a game. And so, you know, they must have come off more for Hart and to lead them in minutes, but it can't have been much or for very long. No. And you want, like, who was playing what for them to come off because there wasn't a lot of options, but I guess there could have been a shuffle in defence, out to wing defence with Agra Brainley. Yeah, well, I think there was also a game where Palmy missed out and um, Amy Sliger came up. And I think that caused a bit of a shuffle. Manuel played a bit of wing defence that day and Sliger played a bit of time mm-hmm. in centre. So we saw a bit of a shuffle that day. But I think that's the key. I mean, Amy Sliger and also Lauren Moore. Um, yeah. We know Lauren Moore can play wing defence. She's probably better or better known as a, a circle defender, but she played plenty of wing defence for the Swiss last year. Um, and so I think that we will see more movement through there because I don't think Julie's going to be afraid to make the rotations she did it in the defensive end last year with Pullman and McDonald. Whenever she felt she needed to, she pulled one of them. Um, she's willing to take that that pull. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see it a little bit, particularly as you described when, you know, someone's a little bit frustrated and you just need to throw something different out there. Mm. Because, yeah, like the chance of uh, Jamie Lee getting frustrated at Kim Rebellion again, very high. So I would much prefer to have somebody on the sidelines that you can throw on. And that's just something that Julie didn't have this year. So in 2021, so going into 2022, it's it's a change that they have made because they do have that additional midcourt option. So it'd be interesting to see how they use that. I think they also lost a bit with Kira Austin's injury because she does have the ability to move out to win attack. And that Absolutely. changes it you know from there you've got someone else who can jump in you can throw someone out for a few minutes because you're at that but not having her I mean Matisse Leatherbarrow is a goal shooter really 
she can play a little yeah. bit of goal attack, but wing attack's probably stretching it a bit far for a 19-year-old so... who was a training partner <laughs> at the start of the season. And Sophie Dwyer is not going out to wing attack either. No. So I think they were a bit limited by circumstances, but this year they seem to be better set up. Firebirds. Penalties. Wasn't their best season, but their penalties were unbelievable. In particular, Kim Jenner. Yeah, Kim Jenner is a bit of a serial offender here. <laughs> I'm just looking. Absolutely. She, so she was uh, seventh in the league in contact penalties. She was second in the league for obstruction and third for total, which actually doesn't seem that crazy. But also you've got to remember that there's a whole bunch of penalties that aren't recorded there in either construction, uh, contact or obstruction. There are no construction penalties in that ball. <laughs> uh, and that was breaking. She was called for breaking at the centre pass 18 times. That's one and a bit every game. And that is just a killer. That's not... That is just not acceptable, really. And especially as a defender, if you're break and some of those breaking uh the 18 break breaks could be her breaking as a goal defense on their offense uh, on the defensive center pass. But if you are breaking, which I know for a fact I saw her do it once or twice at least through the year, if you're breaking yeah. on your center pass, as a that is defense, not good. That's that's almost criminal. Um but the big problems the Firebirds can have is that we saw, you know, they've swapped out that defensive end. They've brought in Ebony Usura Brown. Yep. Usura Brown's not exactly um, someone who stays out of the whistle. I mean, we saw during the quad series that she was whistled up pretty heavily as well. And a lot of that was on contact. And I do think you get away with a little bit more in Super Netball, especially in contact under the circle, but uh, not enough that I'd be confident they're going to turn that one around. So think that's going to have to be some some mm -hmm. coaching work by Meg Anderson to to fix that as well because it's not just swap the players out to reduce that number no that's not from what we saw and as you say like the umpiring is definitely different and that's something that we saw last week was that the, the way the whistle was blown in international games is very different from super netball but at the same time it's not going to be a simple change um when we're and, talking about Ebony, you're Sarah Brown. And, and the problem is that, you know, particularly contact penalties by goalkeepers and goal defences are giving your opponents free shots. Mm. I mean, it, it's not just that, you know, you slowed them down a little bit and everyone gets to reset. Like, that's a shot with one less defender that you're taking. And that, you know, massively increases the opponent's accuracy. And, and you can lose games like that. I mean, you lose a game one or two because someone takes an open, easy shot or, or gets to, you know, take a step and half towards goal because of the penalty. You know, you can't have that. And Kim Jenner getting stuck out of the circle as well um, multiple times when she's called for, called for contact or obstruction. She then puts the pressure on the only goalkeeper in the circle who perhaps, you know, can't control both players, especially if there are established well-in-tune combination which most of these combinations are now i mean as you said there's not any shooters in the super netball league who i would you know say one defender can take two i don't think there's any circles mm. like that it's too high quality of competition so you just can't be doing it on a regular basis no let's go to our last team for the day fever yeah. and a little bit like the swiss um obviously the fever had the 12 point 
um, point advantage disadvantage last year, which kind of meant that on the ladder, it wasn't reflected just how good they were. I mean, they were the dominant team through the regular season and lost out in uh, a close final to the Giants, who were a bit of a bogey team, but we're not going to call the Giants their weakness because that doesn't really work. But I think it's fair to say that the Fever's weakness last year was closing games. I mean, they lost a lot mm-hmm. of close one, two goal games, especially at the end of the season. Um, and yeah. The, the finals is where you definitely don't want to be doing that as well, which is what happened in obviously the preliminary final. Um, it, and will Dan Ryan fix that? <laughs> we'll have to wait and see, but it's, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they, how they reflect on the season. Like, obviously we don't really have the stats to show for the closing out of games um, necessarily, but, and like where, they went wrong in those last five minutes of some of those key games. But um, it'll be interesting to see how they reflected on those losses, especially that preliminary final loss and where they see the improvement to be made. They've obviously kept a very consistent team, but they've changed a massive person at the top of it, which is Dan. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And I think it does make a big impact. I mean, we talk, obviously the quad series isn't a great example because just there'll be kind of just three replacements out there whenever she felt <laughs> like it anyway, um, which, you know, yep. the sub rule at international netball is another week's soapbox. But um, <laughs> at super netball where you have the chance to make those rolling subs and just throw combinations, I think coaching does come into a big factor late in games. It's a much mm-hmm. more important than where you can't really do much except teach the place before and then you just got to leave them and trust them to do it you can make changes you can make tactical decisions in the last few minutes and I think that actually coaching might make a difference I don't know if it's going to make a good difference or a bad difference because Stacey Marinkovic is obviously a really good coach so they might have already had you know just about the best there is but it is going to make a difference I think I think we'll see them approach the last five minutes of games differently especially when they're close Definitely. And I mean, we did see Stacey did use it a bit where she actually pulled Fowler off court to have that double um, of Alice T. Neal and Sasha Glasgow because they're much stronger from the longer range. They can utilise that two-point shot. They're also a lot more agile. So when a team in those final five minutes is closing down on Fowler because that's the easy pass in, the easy feed in, they switch to the moving circle, but they've just got to have that consistency in those two um, being able to adjust so quickly to the game because that's, I think, where they possibly went wrong was they tried to fix it and tried to throw something different at the opposition, but perhaps the two weren't as well adjusted as they could be. Yeah, I mean, they were, as a collective, the second highest pairing for super super shots made behind the Giants who were obviously streets ahead of everyone because Mm. that's just how they played last year but that was a really effective combo um which Mm. tells me that it might not just be as simple as making those changes we're going to have to see some differences in in the way that they play or the way that they think through the last five minutes of games Mm -hmm. well all of those statistics have been expertly compiled by Ian Harkin and it's been really interesting to read through them and to chat about what impact they had on the team because obviously statistics and little graphs um, don't tell the full story but when you think about it in terms of the the clubs and how we've watched them over the last season we watched a lot of netball last year both 
live and from our homes during lockdown. So um, it's been really interesting to see how though how our understandings of what happened last season have paired or not paired with the stats because yeah. at some points we were a bit puzzled. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really interesting looking at these stats um, and maybe we'll compare it to what it looks like at the end of this season, who made big changes, who didn't, and whether, you know, some of these teams kept their strengths or sold their weaknesses or other things emerged that other teams picked up on and capitalised on. Let's just hope that the Thunderbirds prize that possession a little bit better. Um, That's one stat that I just want to see improve. Yeah. Can't wait to see Liz Watson completely change the Vixens' court um, and Julie to actually make changes to her court. That'll be... To be able to have the ability to make changes. <laughs> to make changes, that too. I mean, didn't she have eight players for two weeks there? So I mean, yeah, she that, really made the best with what she had. On, there were a couple of weeks where they actually only had eight players on the bench, you know, and the team and one on the bench, either for fitness or COVID or both. So, you know, it's not, it's not really her fault that things played out the way they did in that mid-court last year. And they did incredibly well with what they had. But I think having an extra gear to throw will be huge next year or this year. Definitely. Well, yeah, we keep talking about it as if it's the next year, but yeah. it is actually only about 10 weeks away. Yeah, so I, mean, I think next we'll time we record, I'll have actually watched some live preseason netball. Mm, that's exciting. Yeah, it's terrifying as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's only January. Um, how can we possibly be at pre-season pre matches as well? Um, the Fibers did announce yesterday that they have a couple of pre-season matches against the Collingwood Magpies up in Mackay, which will be Mackay? Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be good for local fans up there to check out. But um, Netball is not too far away, that's for sure. And so we will continue our pre-season chats uh, next week. Thank you for joining me today, Dan. But, uh, you can check you can check out all of our netball stories at edgeofthecrowd.com and follow us on your favorite social media platforms like facebook instagram twitter and youtube at edge of the crowd you can even watch the video of over a third um, podcast on the edge of the crowds youtube channel um, as for us here at over a third you can follow the podcast on instagram and twitter at over a third pod thank you for joining us and we'll be back next week for more mm -hmm.